Welcome, you're listening to Raw Health Rebel Podcast with Lisa Strabak. It's time to disrupt the current view of health and return to the more basics, that true wellness comes from within. In this episode, my close friend and fellow homeopath, Emily Dorian, jumps on with me to discuss your homeopathy questions. I felt like my podcast was lacking some homeopathy. So I reached out to my Instagram account and asked people if they had any questions. And these are your questions that we have answered. We cover all sorts of topics, including how is homeopathy different from naturopathy? How remedies are made? Is it safe in pregnancy? Can homeopathy use a detox? When you can use homeopathy at home versus seeing a homeopath? An advice for those thinking of studying so hop on and enjoy thank you Emily for coming back on so for everyone listening if you haven't heard I think Emily was on my third episode one of my early guinea pigs and where I twisted Emily's arm onto coming on to have a chat about homeopathy and so while I'm wrapping up um Raw Health Rebel podcast just for a break for the time being I thought I'd really like to focus on some homeopathy and I thought who better to have back on other than my lovely friend Emily. Yeah no thanks for having me. I asked on my Instagram page if people had homeopathy questions and so I got lots and I've tried to put them into a bit of a logical order and yeah, we'll go from there and we'll answer the questions that were asked by the people on my page. Um, and we'll also have a bit of a chat, no doubt. We'll probably go off on tangent at some points. But that's all. And, and Emily and I are both going to input and ask each other que- your questions. So you're going to hear it from a bit of both of us today. Amazing. Should we, should we get into it? Yes. So do you want to ask me first? Yes, let's do it. So the lovely list... Okay, so first question, Lisa, how is homeopathy different from naturopathy? Good question, because I think a lot of people don't know the difference. And they are very, very different. But if you're not into alternative medicine or alternative therapies, you might just sort of lump them together and they sound similar. But they couldn't be more different because homeopathy is purely focusing on energy medicine that sounds a bit woo woo but we'll explain more in a bit as where naturopathy and I don't know if I actually just said that right is is more material doses so they will use herbs and supplements and and they will sometimes use homeopathy as well some of the sort of really big homeopaths particularly in the US are actually naturopaths that have gone off to specialize but the way of studying is quite different as well I asked one of my very close friends who's a naturopath what did you study this is in the UK so it might be different um, in the US but she said that she studied for four years similar to us but much more on supplements herbs more sort of physiological and the homeopathy that they used was much more first aid get a kit what will you treat for this much more on a therapeutic level as where us homeopaths will study thousands of different remedies and go really deep into kind of constitutional treatment even ancestral healing so it's very different so hopefully that's answered do you think that's answered it, Emily? Or I just think I think you've answered it perfectly. I often think of it as almost kind of midway between kind of allopathy and homeopathy. Even naturopaths wouldn't like me saying that, but I often think the way in which they practice often kind of meets kind of halfway in between the both of them. And yeah, I don't have that much experience of of kind of seeing a naturopath or or kind of how they practice, but that's what I understand. You're right, actually. And that's something I didn't I didn't say. So I saw a naturopath early on in my journey and they're much more about what physical issues. And again, I'm, I'm just going with my experience. I guess different naturopaths practice differently, but it was much more like, oh, you've got a liver issue. Let's give you some liver support rather than getting to the root cause. What um, do I have suppressed anger, for example, that might be causing my body to create liver issues? So, yeah, it's a different way of um, treating Excellent. Okay, should we move on to the next question? Yeah, next question's a goodie. What is the method of reducing the substance so that only resonance is left in remedies? So potentization question. Okay, I'll answer this on this. So so homeopathy works on, as we've spoken about, energy, 
the 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 essence of a substance so remedies actually to take a little bit of a step back remedies can be made from anything they can be made from plants or animal substance or chemicals even bacteria viruses if you believe they exist so it can be made from literally anything and what happens is they take one part of the original substance and dilute it to 99 parts of water or alcohol and then they succuss it which is shaking it and then they take one part of that so that's already diluted one part to 99 they take one part of that and then they do the same process again so that will then be a 2c then they do it again and they keep doing it again and again and again and so by the time you get to 12c where you've gone through that process 12 times there's no molecule or chemical left of the original substance and so an analogy might be at that point at 12c it's like having one drop of the substance in a whole huge massive lake so that that's why homeopathy can get a bit ridiculed because by science because they're like well there's nothing in it but homeopathy works on physics not on chemistry and do you know what? I, I, at some point, I'm going to have to do a post because I was chatting to my friend Remy about uh, Remy Vega, who's been on a podcast previously about potentization. And he explained it back to me perfectly. He asked me and I, he explained it back to me in, with the most wonderful music analogy. So at some point and, and resonance vibrational, at some point I might get him to do that, too. So hopefully that's answered it. Amazing. Okay, so question for you. Moving on, which hopefully will make sense after explaining potentization and how we make remedies. Someone has asked, is homeopathy safe in pregnancy? Yeah, good question. I think that question gets asked a lot. Simply, yes, homeopathy is safe for pregnancy, childbirth breastfeeding and beyond. I think you're quite right, Lisa, the way in which the homeopath, homeopathic remedies, which you've just heard about from, from Lisa, means that the crude form of the initial remedy substance has been so highly diluted and now has almost kind of immeasurable small amounts of the active ingredient left that they're you know it's not chemical drugs it's gentle effective highly diluted remedies that help stimulate your body's own healing response that's really what homeopathy is all about some homeopaths actually use tissue salts which are incredibly gentle minerals that ultimately in pregnancy kind of assist your body to to almost kind of balance itself out i think you can actually buy specific pregnancy and birth kits that said, I would always recommend for somebody to research into getting their own homeopath. You know, a homeopath is going to take into account the stage of pregnancy that somebody at, you know, the energy and sort of well-being of the mother, how the pregnancy has been thus far, really to kind of ensuring that individualized and, and tailored response to make sure that the, the, that the remedies are in their most gentle form and adjusting those remedies to kind of individual tolerance as well. So, but simply, yes, homeopathy is safe to take in pregnancy. I love that. And I think that um, what you've said as well, just I had a little thought pop into my head that I thought maybe I should mention with homeopathy, one thing, this actually isn't on the list, but I want to I'll, I'll just slip it in because it's something I get asked a lot is, can you take homeopathy like a supplement if you don't need it? And the answer is no, it's treating what is something, it's treating something that is there. You can sometimes give constitutional treatment, which we'll go on to in a bit to improve your overall immune system. But generally, you wouldn't just take it if you don't need it. And I remember, do you remember Maggie Dixon telling us when we were at college about how when she was pregnant, she started taking a load of tissue salts because she oh, thought, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> Why did suddenly remind me? She was like, what the hell? Why not? You know, and she ended up with like this ginormous baby, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> didn't her nails grow ridiculously long as well or something happened? <laughs> Yeah, so how, um, I can't remember how big the baby was, but it was like enormous, like 14 pounds or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so when you were saying, see a homeopath, yeah, I was thinking that too. And that story popped into my mind. Especially so. if it's your first experience of homeopathy as well. I think with all these things, and I'm sure we're going to bang out, uh, kind of bang around that a lot, that actually 
it's homeopathy is so brilliant and wonderful and you can self-ascribe for kind of the more acute problems but for more kind of in-depth chronic or or kind of imbalances or when you're going through something like pregnancy it really is best to kind of seek out a, a qualified homeopath definitely okay super next question Ooh, we got some questions around detox didn't we so detox is an interesting to, to kind of go off on a little tangent I guess mm. beforehand detox is an interesting word I think and I think sometimes people use it when it's not necessarily really what they mean if somebody comes to me and says I want to detox x y and z I'll often want to think about what they've said and why they've said that they need to detox from it because first and foremost detox protocols aren't often my first kind of port of call I would want to take the case and explore the reasons for needing the detox or why the patient needs the detox. So I think um, a lot of the time I would think about uh, remedy pictures that kind of match um, imbalances or totality symptom pictures before I think about kind of detox protocols. Although there are remedies that do assist with detox, drainage, and those sorts of things. So you might think about when you're thinking around uh, if somebody has taken a medication that hasn't agreed with them and they've never been well since, you might well think about kind of a more physical potency to go alongside the more kind of constitutional remedies that takes into the, the patient into account on a more holistic level. So I think what I'm trying to say is really that detox is kind of more complex than than how it sounds I guess and there's kind of different avenues to go down but the first question I think that we have is is there anything to help detox from the COVID vaccine 33 weeks from it and still suffering greatly yeah so actually just to add to what you were saying Emily I agree I think it's very it's a very allopathic perspective to think Mm. about detoxing certain substances it's like a it's something we have in our toolbox but isn't necessarily where you would start with unless really indicated having said that the covid vaccine so and actually be good to hear some of your experiences of this but i am seeing a lot of people that have had it with side effects even if it's quite subtle or people don't often make the connection like postmenopausal ladies have started bleeding again or people are having migraines consistently since having it. The great thing is we can do things to help, so detox. In those cases, my approach would be this, and it'd be great to hear yours, is I would take their whole case and I would look to give them a constitutional remedy, which to just improve their overall vitality. And sometimes that's enough for people. Now, I think it's a bit different with the COVID vaccine because it is new. And Tom Janssen, who is one of the sort of leading experts in, in detox therapy and has written various books on it, his view is that the mRNA technology needs detoxing as a priority because it is just completely different from other toxins that we've been exposed to. And so as well as giving, even he would give a constitutional remedy though, and then he would detox the vaccine so what we do is we give the vaccine back as a homeopathic remedy now there's nothing from we've obviously explained how remedies are made there's nothing actually in that remedy it's got the essence or the vibrational signature of the vaccine to send a message to the body as to 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 trigger that healing response and generally then we'd work up through potencies and give where indicated support as well so when you're detoxing you might want to give liver support or some kind of organ support to help support that process Mm. so there are things you can do obviously I've spoken about homeopathy what you can do to help detox but I'm sure there's other things you can do from a more naturopathic herbal supplement point of view other therapies but that's kind of my take on it Mm. and I guess the other thing just before sorry Emily I want to hear your um, answer the other thing as well is it's that susceptibility point because not everyone that has a vaccine or a toxin exposure is damaged and I think we can quite sometimes just jump to oh it's this but why what made that person susceptible to being damaged or injured or by that toxin in the first place because it goes much deeper than just that that vaccine or that thing damaged me why didn't to other people 
Definitely. That's the kind of point I was just thinking about, really. I think with all these things, it's that's why some people are react badly to these things. Some people don't. And I think a lot of it has to do about your health and your you know, vitality at the time of being exposed to a vaccine, uh, a medication, uh, a pathogen or virus. It's about what's going on for you at the time. So you know, they they often say, and this is kind of going slightly off on tangent now, but, you know, there's pictures in the news sometimes about a young, healthy person with um, no comorbidities that is really struggling from COVID. And I think, well, that may be true, but I'm not sure what that journalist's idea of health really is. Mm-hmm. Do they know what that person's diet like, a diet is like? Does that person sleep well? Is their energy good? Are they happy in their life or are they under a lot of stress? You know, kind of that, you know, in quote marks, healthy doesn't just mean that you haven't got another disease diagnosis or that you aren't overweight or something like that. Healthy is is holistic. So I think sometimes, as you say, susceptibility and we can have our susceptibility might go up and down to things Mm. and it really depends on our current situation in life and how we we feel and how we're sleeping and energy and all those things that I've just made kind of point on so it's definitely not as simple as some people react some people don't I think it goes much deeper than that and what's Um, going on mentally as well definitely more important you know just as important I think which and journalists would never pick up on that uh, point what what are you finding in practice in clinic with um kind of I've seen different different people with different issues so as usual it's about treating the individual I think there's absolutely a place for certain what we might think about as more sort of physical remedies you know things like berberis algaris for kidney and liver drainage slash detox you know phytolacca for for maybe kind of lymphatic drainage chelidonium again for kind of liver you know there's a there's a place for those more physical remedies on on and treating them on a kind of physical level as well as as you just said the kind of vaccines maybe back in potency and remedies like thuya which are indicated in those circumstances but as with homeopathy wonderfully complex it really does depend on the person and and how they were before they they had going back to the question the vaccine what happened immediately after and for this person at 33 weeks after um, I'd want to know a lot more you know how it's changed has it got better worse have things changed over Mm. time so I think it's you know I'd I'd be interested in that person's kind of whole case really and, and to to see what understood before kind of suggesting anything yeah totally totally um, and then actually someone asked but I kind of think we've probably answered it can mm. we clear mold with homeopathy so maybe I'll, I'll just very quickly skirt over that and we'll move on but I think to me that is a point of what the susceptibility in the first place because yes you know as Emily you just said there's things you can do to support the the body drainage remedies and constitutional support but why again were you susceptible to that in the first place because some people can live in not that not that anyone wants to live in a mouldy environment but some people are much much more impacted than others so it's looking again at that susceptibility in the first place Um, so moving on I've had a lot of questions about can I have help for, you know, is there help for menopause? Is there help for acne? Is there help for cysts or allergies? And I thought it'd be quite good to explain sort of constitutional treatment. We've kind of touched on it, but maybe Emily, would you sort of be happy to explain a bit more explicitly about what what happens with constitutional treatment when you see a homeopath, just so people can understand a bit more? Definitely. And I think this is one of the most important things for somebody who's just getting into homeopathy, deciding to see a homeopath. We as homeopaths do not treat problems. So we don't treat specific menopause, acne, what other we've been asked about cysts, uh, breast milk, I think lots of things don't kind of specifically treat those things. We have remedy pictures that have an affinity for those things in their pictures. So to answer those sort of questions, and I think, you know, it's the it's the answer for all of those questions, really. Homeopathy treats the individual, not the problem. We would treat, you know, the person with menopause, acne, whatever it might be. We would treat that person and their experience of menopause, acne or whatever the issue might be, because like kind of any complaint or, or health issue, 
the complaint can come in all sorts of different shapes and forms and it can be for all sorts of reasons so to kind of touch on a couple of them i guess um you know acne for example often can be due to hormonal changes or imbalances, sometimes brought on by kind of puberty, pregnancy, changing of birth control, diet can be a factor, stress and anxiety. So we need to know when it began happening. Was there a kind of clear trigger, you know, time in life, hormones, medication? What makes it better? What makes it worse? Does it run in the family? All those questions. And for for each problem that somebody has, we would ask all of those. And that's really because homeopathy is so individualized. It's really, as I said at kind of the beginning, it's about treating the individual and their experience of a problem, um, not the problem itself. So there is wonderful remedies out there that cover acne and kind of menopausal problems. And it's, you know, I think it's really important to see a homeopath and discuss it as a whole, because we really do treat people holistically with a tailored approach. And one woman's experience of acne or menopause is going to be totally different from another person's. So that's why it's very difficult to give answers for those. What would you suggest for this problem? Because there isn't, there's about 80 different remedies that might be, might be good for you. And we really need to kind of drill down and understand what those might be by having the full kind of consultation. Yeah, brilliant. Completely agree. In fact, I'm going to move on, I think, to acute treatment because that just answers it. And I think people will understand um, after listening to us so far. So acute treatment is slightly different, isn't it? Like, so that's an area where you can treat at home. And I was reading this good book. I was preparing for my workshop, actually. I got this great quote and I was reading Dr. Sankaran's book. He's a very well-respected Indian doctor, homeopath. And he talks about why acute illnesses, there are much lesser or limited remedies in acute situations. And he says it's because the energy of that disease or that external influence is so great that most people will respond in the same way. So it's for a really obvious example, if you if we all walk into a sharp blade, we're all going to bleed. It doesn't matter how healthy we are, that external energy of that knife is going to cut us and we're probably all going to bleed in a very similar fashion. And so the more high energy that external factor, the more similar we're going to react, which is why in epidemics, there are generally fewer homeopathic remedies. And the more then individualized your the, the disease or the more varying symptoms obviously the more different types of remedies there might be but I think that explains why you know, arnica is great for accidents because most of us respond in, in a similar way when we when we have a shock or trauma so I thought just to explain that at a really high level as to why why it is that acute prescribing is slightly different so someone has asked help for chicken pox acute what would you say to that emily chicken pox chicken pox is one of those uh trusty old chicken pox one of those things that you really need your kind of trusty remedy kit for your helios remedy kit um Again, it isn't a blanket treatment response. It depends on kind of how the chicken box presents in the child. But it is something that you, if it comes on, you can, or if you don't have a chance to get to your homeopath, you can definitely think about home prescribing. So there's brilliant remedies for things like chicken pox. You know, probably one of the most well-known remedies for chicken pox is rust tox, indicated when I think there can be a lot of itching and burning and the child can be kind of restless. There's belladonna for the kind of inflammatory stage. If there's a lot of red skin, a fever and a head day thinking of different remedies and tart or sometimes if there's uh, the kind of big painful eruptions that kids sometimes get and they can appear kind of slowly uh, and I think you can get a cough with ant tart as well there is this brilliant brilliant remedies including kind of pulsatilla duya bryonia but it's I'm thinking of all the remedies now but it's uh, it's one of those things that your kit is really great because it, the kit kind of tells you what to go for and at what point and you can obviously always call the homeopathic helpline or get in touch with homeopathy 24 7 if you don't feel comfortable or if it's uh, not getting better. But occasionally, and I think Lisa and I might have spoken about this on our first podcast, you do kind of have to go through, <laughs> through the remedy kit a little bit because 
what happens is is you might give say antarp because there's big painful eruptions coming so and you can see the big kind of horrible blisters coming and you think i know i'm going to give antarp and the antarp helps but it actually pushes the child into a different stage of of chickenpox so they then suddenly might start to run a fever and look very red in which case that's when belladonna is indicated so Occasionally, you do need more than one remedy for something like chickenpox. You kind of have to go through the motions, but just know that those remedies are working. They're pushing the kind of the child more often than an adult into the kind of new remedy stage and slowly through healing, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And my personal experience of chickenpox, I can't believe actually that it's that they vaccinate routinely for it in, in the US because both my it's a rite of passage here in the UK and both my kids have just sort of sailed through it and one of them before actually we even had pre-homeopathy but when my youngest had uh, chicken pox gave her wrist tox which really helped I waited actually for the eruptions to come out because that's a good healing response we want stuff out the body has a natural intelligence so I waited until it looked like they'd erupted gave her tox and then she was quite clingy as well so I gave her pulsatilla which is her constitutional remedy and she was over it within like it was bizarrely quick because I think she came down with it like on the Thursday, Friday, and by the Tuesday, she could have gone back to nursery. But mm. I was like, I almost thought, do I have to wait a little bit longer? They'd already scabbed over. It was like bizarrely quickly with the help of homeopathy. So that just reminded me of my own experience with chicken pox. And I, I remember it because uh, I had it and I don't think I had it particularly badly obviously got treated with homeopathy um, and I went back to school a bit like your daughter kind of a couple of days after I'd kind of initially had it and the teacher was asking I remember sitting cross-legged on the floor teacher was asking everyone what they'd done at the week uh, weekend and they said yeah, Emily what did you do and I was like I had chicken pox and she was like I'm, you need to go to the nurse now and made me go you know out of the classroom called my mum to come and pick me up because obviously they didn't want me but I was I was fine by that point I remember that really clearly and it obviously just really helped with homeopathy and it cleared it up really quickly yeah that's yeah that sounds very similar to, to mm. my youngest because it was just bizarrely quick because they say it takes I can't remember now but whatever five days for them to even start scamming over and yeah. it's like they were, yeah. much gone. they were completely gone within five taste there was no trace of it okay so one maybe for you Lisa another kind of acute question and I think we get asked about fevers a lot Mm. um, because they can be scary can't they and somebody's asked help for a fever so do you want to take that one yeah and I am going to do actually a whole workshop I thought I say a whole workshop so an online uh, seminar I think about fever management because it is a question that gets asked all the time And I know from having small kids how terrifying it is when their fevers go up because of everything we're told by conventional medicine that we can't allow the fever to go up. So the first thing I want to say here is the fever is doing a job. It is has the body has a natural intelligence. So the fever is killing off whatever needs to be killed. And a great quote by Dr. Dr. Suzanne Humphreys from Dissolving Illusions. She says treating a fever. Yeah, it's amazing, but I'll put a link to it, actually. She says treating a fever is like shooting your guard dogs when you have an intruder in the house, trying to break into the house. Like, And even the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, which is for those that aren't in the UK, that's what runs, that's what provides our advice to the NHS. It says that you should not give cowpole, which is Tylenol, I think, in the US, or ibuprofen for a fever you should not treat a fever and people say well what about febrile convulsions or seizures now this it actually states that it does not reduce the risk because the thing that that induces seizures or febrile convulsions is how quickly the fever rises and actually by treating the fever you can make it more likely to have these peaks in how rapidly it goes up and down as it wears off so it doesn't help the only time you should be giving calpol or uh, ibuprofen is for pain that mm. is what the nhs recommends so i just want to sort of put that out there so you know if a child has tonsillitis and they get a fever it's the fever that is curing the tonsillitis and by treating the fever you're suppressing it further into the body so mm. 
I would actually say I wouldn't even necessarily treat a fever. Sometimes I would only do it if the child is in discomfort. So quite often a child with a fever is in discomfort. And that's when I personally would treat. And we are so used to, to feeling like we have to do something. And I think the message to parents is sometimes sometimes not doing something is doing something it's allowing the body to heal obviously you need to look for red flags and take care if if there is an emergency situation but I'm just talking about a fever of maybe 39 degrees where the child has a cold that fever is fighting that off the remedies my go-to which I give all pretty much give all my patients that have children is ABC which is a mixture of aconite belladonna and chamomilla and it's got the three two of the core fever remedies and chamomilla which is great for pain and that's what I recommend that all parents I've posted about it on my Instagram page that's like my desert island remedy for if you have children you should not be without it so that's what I would say about fever is like why do you want to treat a fever actually you know the fever has a function so you treat if the child's in discomfort or pain so that's my sorry long-winded answer to to that short question no it's so important though because I really think that it's not widely known that fevers on the whole are are a good thing you know it is the body's way of working working out what's going what's going on really and getting Mm. over it and of course I think it's it's easy to panic isn't it as as a parent um, if your child is as you say in distress or hallucinating and things like that you obviously are going to want to take action and and rightly so if the child is in distress but first and foremost you're you're right a fever especially if it's not too high and it's just it's manageable is is actually good and it's a it's a kind of good healthy response yeah and you just said about hallucinations actually so my eldest had and sorry taking a step back fever you will realize how important fevers are if you couldn't produce one so when my eldest was in her most chronic ill health she couldn't produce a fever she'd either have a really low grade fever in response to an illness or no fever at all now that was terrifying because these illnesses would just linger and affect her it would cause brain inflammation and when she was able to start producing fevers I knew that she was on the road to recovery and it's similar with elderly quite often can't produce high fevers because their vital force is so low so you would appreciate a fever if you weren't able to have one and one actually last year I think who knows what we had some mystery illness COVID who knows what we were all ill and or producing symptoms of detox whatever my listeners want to call it and she had her fever went up to 41 and it was really high to the point that I was actually getting concerned and I thought do I need to do something about this she was sleeping with me my husband was in the spare room I thought I'm going to go and get my husband, but I'll just give her a belladonna because she was so red. Her eyes were so glassy and her pupils so dilated. And she just looked up to the ceiling and we started talking about the spiders on there. And I thought, oh, my God, gave her the belladonna, walked across the landing, got Joel and said, you know, I think we need to go get help. And by then she was completely fallen asleep. Her fever had gone down to like a much more respectable 39, I think, and maybe even maybe 40, but it was much lower and she was peaceful and she was back to much more normal. So that's what homeopathy can do. It can just shut, even though a fever is a good thing, in that case, it was out of proportion and it just restored balance to a more sensible, sensible level. Homeopathy is so amazing in those acute situations. If you've got your remedy kit and your booklet or access to a homeopath or, or homeopathic service, it is it, you can just it is you can just see a difference so quickly often. It is, it's it's amazing, it's incredible. And that leads on nicely to a, the next question, actually, Emily, that I want to ask is how often should I repeat the remedy and how long does treatment take? Oh, we've got them down as two separate questions, but they're quite similar. Are you happy to answer that one? Yeah. How long is a piece of string? That's a complex question. And again, one that kind of comes with time and experience. So, so I guess I'll do it in two parts. So 
I think for anybody who's just using homeopathy rather than kind of starting to learn about homeopathy and actually, you know, wanting to become a homeopath, repeating the remedy, you really have to go on your gut instinct, which is difficult, isn't it? People want rules, you know, what potency to take and how often to take. Potency, don't. That's like ultimate. (laughs) No, let's not. We're not. We could do a whole episode on potency. And I think it's completely down to what happens to the person when they take the remedy. So I think when you first take a remedy, let's give, let's say you've got a cold uh, and you're starting to feel a bit unwell. It's come on suddenly, you've got that sore throat and you might take something like an aconite um, to see if it kind of stops it in its tracks. If it helps, you might take it again because if if your sore throat starts coming back or you suddenly start feeling a little bit worse for wear again, you might take another one. It seemed to work the first time. If you get a a situation where you've tried it, nothing happens. You've tried it again, nothing happens. I'd say that's not the remedy that your body needs Mm. at that time. And it's either time to move on or wait and see what the body is asking for. Then the, so the body then might go into a more kind of inflammatory stage. So you might have a fever, a headache and be a bit kind of irritable and it kind of is worse for moving around and those sort of things. You might think, oh, bryonia is going to do the job. Same thing, really. Take a bryonia, the headache's a bit less, you feel a little bit less irritable. Great. Maybe take another one. Again, if the symptoms are coming back or if you're feeling kind of particularly ill, you can try it kind of once every half an hour or hour, really depending on like what you feel like. It's very, very difficult to take too many homeopathic remedies, but of course you don't want to be taking them if it's not doing anything for you. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of a watch and wait situation. You take one, you see how you feel and you judge whether you need to take another one or move to a different remedy because of that. But it's a difficult question because it really does depend on the situation. What do you have anything else that you'd like to add to that? I think that's really good. I think sometimes sometimes it can be slower and again it depends on the situation like to give a couple of examples for me last year when I was ill with this virus or whatever it was detox um I took arsenicum and felt ever no actually I took gelsenium and I felt ever so slightly better you know almost like imperceptibly so but like oh I think I feel a bit better so I kept on repeating it and actually because I was seeing some improvement and I did get gradually better but I it lingered still and then I started to feel a bit low and flat and I moved to arsenicum and it completely like just cleared things Mm. so that was a situation where you really needed to listen to your body and guide your way through it on another occasion, I had I used to get migraines. The susceptibility now has gone because I've had constitutional treatment. But back when I used to get migraines and I treat myself acutely, I remember going through you know the book and taking what I thought was the perfect match and it did sweet <laughs> FA. And then I was like taking another one and it did nothing. And another one, I was like, this homeopathy isn't working. Like, you know, you know it works. But, but for me, because it was so acute at that moment and the migraine was so bad, I knew that it was doing nothing. So I took as a kind of last pulsatilla. And the second it literally landed on my tongue, I could feel, I hadn't even like, it hadn't even fully dissolved. The headache just almost like magic went. So I think that illustrates that sometimes you do need to just use your gut instinct. And and in that case, when the migraine went, I didn't need to repeat it again because it had just gone. You know, it wasn't like when I felt had that other virus where I needed to kind of keep chipping away. So you really do have, and it is a bit of an art, I think, in some ways. So the more you practice and the more you use it, the more just the the more familiar you'll be with it. So I think don't be scared in some ways to just try it for acute. The energy of that illness is so, when you have an acute, is so strong that taking a 30C from your homeopathy kit really isn't going to do anything negatively, is my view. Yeah, and I think that sort of leads on to how long does treatment take? And that's a question that's, you know, one for acutes and two for more chronics. And it's it's a question that could probably take 20 minutes to answer, but to kind of do it in a more succinct way. Acute wise, you should, if you found the right remedy, see some instant, like you just talked spoke about with the pulsatilla. If you found the right remedy, you should feel instantly like something is working, feel a bit different. Mm. Like an example for me was I cut my foot really horribly in Greece. I didn't have that many remedies with me, but 
I did have some calendula. I took a dose of calendula. I was, I've never actually had an experience like that. Just took all the pain out of it. Just took, completely took the pain out of it, which is incredible, really. And I didn't need to take another one. And that was that was it. Treatment yeah. <laughs> two seconds. Yeah. Um, for other things with with acute problems. It can take, you know, you might have to find the right remedies and it can take a bit longer, but you should, if you found the right remedy, find some solace in mm. kind of within a, a short period of time. And I think sometimes when we don't, and I know we've spoken about this before, is the body actually really needs to experience what it's going through. Occasionally, the remedies just do not seem to touch what is going on. That It doesn't happen that often, but it definitely happens. And when you're in that acute stage, you desperately want something to feel better. But occasionally the body just needs to get rid of what's going on, you know, whether it be a fever or a vomiting, you know, diarrhea, horrible bug, sometimes just for 48, 72 hours, the body's just got to do what it's got to do. And in that, because homeopathy, you know, homeopathy works with the body to stimulate Mm. the response, the body's like, not today, thanks. I need to get rid of all this rubbish that's going on. So I think treatment, as I said, it's it's a difficult kind of question. But on the acute form, if you found the right remedy, you should find some solace quite quickly, unless your body really is going through something that it needs to expel. Emily, can I just add something yeah. on, that, on that last bit? Because yeah. I often get asked by friends or family, like I've got diarrhea and vomiting, you know, in response to say food poisoning, or I've come down with a 24 hour bug. What homeopathy can I take? And if the response, the body's response is appropriate mm. in relation to whatever it has caused that, it, it's not going to work. It's not going to do anything. You don't actually want, if you've got food poisoning, the classic remedy is probably arsenicum. You don't want that arsenicum to stop you vomiting and having diarrhea because it needs to come out because yeah. otherwise you're keeping it inside. It's a different case if it goes on for a week yes. or like days and you feel weak that that's not an appropriate response and then you would expect homeopathy to help but that is such an important thing actually I think really needs emphasizing to people listening because our body does have that innate intelligence definitely and I think just to touch on I know we're kind of slowly running out of time but just to touch on kind of how long does um, more kind of chronic and constitutional treatment take I think it's important to mention because I think some people get a bit fed up when something it doesn't work like allopathic medicine, you know, where it's, you know, you take an antibiotic and within three, four days, you're completely better. Although I have seen some cases where that has happened with chronic treatment. It really depends on how long the issue has been going on. If if a patient has had um, a health issue for 15, 20 years, we just cannot expect it to clear up overnight. It's, it's just not going to. Although, again, I have seen some pretty amazing things happen. A chronic, a more chronic issue needs really careful attention that can often take months sometimes years you know healing isn't isn't necessarily linear and it's not necessarily really quick the caveat to this is that we often see improvements elsewhere sometimes really quickly so sometimes somebody might come in with something like chronic eczema or a skin condition and you'd want to manage their expectation in terms of time frames that it's probably going to take some time to clear and this is what they should you know what sort of time frame they should be giving you but what we often see is while the eczema is slowly improving over those that they will have you know you might see them in two months time after they first started treatment and they say well it's maybe a little bit less itchy it's you know maybe it's cleared up a little on my leg but not you know it's not done enough and then you talk about it with a you know in a bit more detail about how they are and suddenly this you actually find out they're sleeping better their energy is higher or they're less bothered by their skin you know it's still you know it's really annoying it still looks bad it just don't seem as bothered recently and that's because we're treating people as we've banged on about as a whole holistically so it's improving other things at the same time it's working on that kind of presenting complaint the issue that you originally came from so we know that healing comes from within and that, you know, our patients need to be on board that it, it can take a while, but there's going to be improvements seen, hopefully, across the board. Love that. Yeah, definitely. OK, so I think to wrap up sort of the last couple of questions, I've had people asking about studying homeopathy, but we could both answer this. So the first one, actually, that probably makes more sense to answer in this order is that they're considering studying homeopathy. How do I know it's right? Oh, good question. Very good question. I think that is a difficult question because it's such a lot to take on. I think, how do you know it's for you? I think you need to have 
you need to have gone to an open day or experienced it with your homeopath. Often you need to have seen what wonders it can do because that really gives you kind of passion and wild kind of need to know more. So I think that's the first thing and that you you do need to realise that you're in it for the long haul. I don't think you ever stop learning in homeopathy. Mm. It's not just a four year course and you're a genius. <laughs> I wish it's consistent learning for a long time so you definitely need to have that in mind that it's going to be a continual learning process and you really start to learn I think once you're in practice and you start mm. seeing people I think the number one thing about going to study homeopathy is realizing that it's going to be a lot of work and that you're going to have to juggle your other life with your kind of you know studying and I remember feeling overwhelmed about 90% of the time, let's be honest. But once and once you start seeing patients, you feel a really res- real kind of responsibility to know everything and get the prescription right and do your best and be fantastic. And I think that pro- it probably covers two questions here. The questions that you're about to ask that I can't remember who said it to them for, for, for the life of me who told me this. But they said to me, homeopathy is so ridiculously complex, yet it's wonderfully simple at the same time. And that really resonates with me, because I think if you're a first year or about to start learning, you just think, oh, my God, the subject is so huge. And these people that are teaching me are masterminds at their craft. And that kind of wonderfully, you know, silly, stupidly complex and wonderfully simple really resonates with me because, yes, the learning is huge. You're going to be learning forever and it's really complex. But actually, if you take strip away all of those complexities and the methodologies and, and all those kind of academic things, it's really about matching patients or and you know people that come to see us with similar remedy pictures finding that similar the remedy that most similarly matches the patient's current state in order to stimulate a healing response so I think that's for me the most important thing that you can get very caught up in all the academia of it and and the huge amount of books and and all of that but actually the materia medica is your friend and once you start being good with people and understanding how to take a case and you've got kind of passion for the subject it really is about matching those remedy pictures to a patient's state and actually there's it couldn't be more simple than that really i love it yes completely i think it's easy to get overwhelmed sometimes isn't it with there are literally thousands of remedies but you need to bring it back to basics mm. and I, I would say to add like from the considering studying homeopathy uh, Marcus Fernande the principal at CHE said to me you don't choose homeopathy it chooses you and that cannot like that just resonates with me because if someone had told me 10 years ago that I'd be doing this now rather than in my corporate city job I would have I would have just said you're, you're I swear you're fucking crazy you know there's no way but when you see it work and you have that like eureka light bulb moment and just realize that what you've been told isn't necessarily the full truth from my perspective in terms of allopathic medicine I was like I have to study this quackery or this witchcraft I have to learn more and once you do that you're you know it's a it's a different world so that would be my advice Mm. is that you need to feel that calling like it's not something you just go and study just you know if you didn't have that passion and that fire definitely couldn't agree more and then I think you're you you I think you've probably answered the the last one was advice for first year homeopathy student have you got any specific advice for a first year other than yeah I guess I sort of went into that in answering that first question Mm. apologies I forgot those a little bit amalgamated I think studying homeopathy make sure you get a good supervisor, one that you trust uh, and one that can help you and guide you. Make sure you make friends with your student colleagues. Lisa and I, as we told you, we met on our first day of college and have been oh, fun. Yeah. And, you know, we'll help each other as well if we're we're stuck or we're having an issue or just want to chat about something. We, we really help. So your friends and your colleagues are really important, I think. Um, and have your own homeopath as well make sure you're practicing what you preach and and go and see somebody I think those are the big things for me that yeah just make sure that you you've got your support system around you that's what really helped me yeah I think I what, what, what other advice would I give I think um I'd get I'd look into getting a supervisor earlier like depending on what college you're at but we weren't really told about it until what the end of the second year maybe 
Yeah. Yeah, it was the end of second year. And actually, there's no reason you can't have a supervisor or mentor. I, I would recommend that earlier. Um, and I think enjoying it as well, not getting too overwhelmed. It's easier said than done because I do look back at that period of my life where I was studying with a one year old and pretty much full time job and think, how the hell did you do that as well as an older child with health issues but that's the thing I think if you're passionate about it it's it was I mean that was I used to love our college weekends it was so enjoyable because you know it's just my passion and connecting with like-minded people in real life so yes that's that's my advice I think it's just enjoy it as much as you can as well yeah and there's a whole lifetime for learning it never stops so you don't have to cram it into the you know four years yeah and just I treat a couple of student homeopaths now and I think the feeling one I mentioned answering the question I think it's very easy to get overwhelmed and don't everybody is feeling like that and it will be fine and just trust the process because it is a lot it's it's a lot to learn and a lot to go through yeah oh thank you Emily is there anything that you want at parting thoughts or anything that's come up you know while we've been doing this you think oh should we didn't cover this or actually that's a good thing to mention I don't think so I think we've answered most of the questions I hope we have anyway just it's always really nice to chat about homeopathy you know and not just a kind of uh patient homeopath sense but actually just chat about it and answer questions almost kind of reignites the the passion and the love for it just being able to chat chat about it so I always really enjoy it yeah I love it too I echo that I love it when people ask me questions on Instagram that people send me dms about homeopathy and I'm like I love it I genuinely <laughs> love it so like feel free to, to you know pop me a question anytime because I, I'm just so passionate about it so like you Emily yeah. it's been lovely to chat about homeopathy and if anyone's got any questions or yeah just you can message me don't necessarily inundate Emily she might not want it but I can always uh... (laughs) okay cool and um, if people want to know get in contact with you Emily how's best to do that then yeah um, if anybody's interested in learning a little bit more the best thing to do is contact the garden clinic in Lingfield and speak to one of the receptionists who will pass your details over or make an appointment for you I'll put a link to the garden clinic at the end that's okay thank you Excellent. All right. Thanks, Emily. Take care. Yeah, lovely to see you. And you.